Bridgeport's enthusiasm for the 4th of July came as a surprise to me my first summer in the monastery, despite being forewarned by my brother monks. While I enjoyed the pyrotechnic displays and the acrid smell of gunpowder that filled the air last night, it is not completely clear to me how setting off deafening explosions into the wee small hours relates to the American ideals of personal freedom, self-reliance, and independence that we celebrate on the anniversary of our nation's founding. As Americans, we tend to take it for granted that these ideals of personal liberty are unambiguously good and ought to be diligently pursued. We esteem the entrepreneur who embodies these ideals by being his own master. This can make it difficult for us to hear what Jesus is saying when he says that no one can serve two masters. Jesus does not envision that we might not have a master. The only question is which master we will choose to love and serve. When Jesus invites us to come to him, take his yoke, and find rest, he is asking us to enter his service and submit to his mastery, giving up the independence we have been raised to cherish. Jesus' Jewish audience would have been familiar with the image of the yoke, as it is found throughout the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. As one example, the book of Sirach exhorts us to come to wisdom like one who plows and sows. Put your feet into her fetters and your neck into her collar. Put your shoulder under her and carry her, and do not fret under her bonds, for at last you will find the rest she gives. Her fetters will become for you a strong protection her collar, a glorious robe, and her yoke, a golden ornament. For a devout Jew, this pursuit of wisdom consists in taking up the yoke of the Torah, the divine law given by God on Mount Sinai. Here we must note that Jesus is not offering a yoke other than the Torah or in opposition to the Torah. He offers himself as the fulfillment of the Torah, the Torah made flesh. This is why he is able to make the many statements in the Sermon on the Mount that have the form, You have heard that it was said to the men of old, but I say to you. The standards he sets in these sayings go well beyond the Torah, as, for example, when he says that it is not enough not to kill, but that we should not even be angry. And last week we heard him say that we must take up our cross and follow if we are to be worthy of him. This does not sound much like a restful, easy yoke. How is it that St. Paul finds health, life, and resurrection in the yoke of the cross? It looks more like a call to a life of unremitting, burdensome toil and service to others. One answer can be found in the twofold commandment to love God with all your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those last two words, as yourself, will reward investigation. How many of us really know how to love ourselves? What might that mean? We often indulge ourselves, giving ourselves what we desire, but how often do we give what is best for ourselves? In what might that best consist? If we cannot answer that question, how can we love our neighbor? And where can we learn to love ourselves? The answer to that last question can be found in the apostolic emphasis on the fact that we love only because Christ first loved us. Surely, if anyone can be expected to love us truly, knowing all our strengths and weaknesses, in no way deceived about who we are, it is he who created and redeemed us. He sees us exactly as we are and loves us. 
When we discover who we are in his eyes, we will know ourselves and be able to love ourselves. Learning to love ourselves will mean shouldering the yoke that Jesus offers, the yoke of the cross. The cross will call us to service, giving up our own will to help others. However, if this is all to which the cross calls us, our lives can quickly become a rushing about, an activism that is always looking for things to fix. It leaves us no time to seek the face of the Lord, pursuing the one thing necessary. In addition to the cross of obedient service, there is also the cross of disappointing others, the fear that if we say no, others will think badly of us. It is a cross that asks us not to try to fix everything, to be patient in less-than-ideal circumstances, to bear with imperfection. But the life of the Church is a strong proof that our imperfection is not an obstacle for God. Jesus' resurrection did not bring human suffering to an immediate end, as we well know from the news. This does not mean that God's plan to sum up all things in Christ has failed. Rather, the Church continues to extend the life of Jesus through time and space by means of the liturgy and the sacraments, drawing all things upward toward the final hidden consummation planned by God. Christ reveals to us who we are in the liturgy and sacraments. As we participate and reflect on our participation in those realities, we discover who we are in Christ's eyes. And who are we? We are sons. As Jesus told us today, no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. It is not obvious that God is Father. It requires the Son to disclose him as such. We are gathered here because Christ Jesus has chosen us to know God as Father, as our Father, and ourselves as his beloved sons. This is what is lovable in ourselves. This is what is lovable in our brethren. In all our actions, we should seek to preserve this dignity of sonship he has given us. Christ's commandments are not so much rules as descriptions of how a son of God comports himself. Their goal is to teach us to live as sons and to open our eyes to see ourselves as sons of so great a Father. At our Savior's command, let us now celebrate the Eucharist, and in accordance with his divine teaching, let us discover ourselves as sons as we dare to address God as Father. <laughs>